well you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. We just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darvetta has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's happening, Far Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars Audio Archives. So how's everyone doing today? I hope everything is going well on your side of the galaxy. Nothing new going on out here in the Outer Rim, just patiently waiting for tomorrow and the first two episodes of The Bad Bat Season 2. Actually, it comes out at 2 a.m. my time, so that is less than 24 hours away. And I am extremely excited. Yes, I know I'm a grown man, and it's kind of weird for a grown man to be waiting for a cartoon to come out. But I like cartoons, especially when they're Star Wars cartoons. Just the other day, I was talking to a guy, and he didn't understand why everyone was making a big deal about Ahsoka. I asked him if he had ever seen the Clone Wars animated series, and guess what his answer was? Yep, he hadn't seen it. And this is what he said to me, cartoons are for kids. I tried to explain to him, not when it comes to Star Wars. If you want to keep up with Star Wars, you have to watch everything. But I can't make someone watch something that they don't want to watch. So if you're one of those people that think like that, you are missing out on so much. Really quick, I want to say congratulations to the winners of the giveaway and remind everybody that you have to remember you will forfeit your winnings if you don't respond to our email by Friday. That is the deadline. We will do a new drawing and give away your prize to someone else if you do not get back to us. We're not trying to be cruel or anything, but we gave you more than a week, so it is what it is. Now what do we got for news this week? Well, since the Bad Bad Season 2 starts tomorrow, let's talk a little bit about what we should expect. Because from what I have read, Season 2 will take a deep dive into Omega's origins. Some of the people involved in making the series have teased what we should expect from this new season. Supervising Director Brad Ross said the following about the relationship between the Bad Bats and Omega. We have so much fun with these tough guy soldiers as the dads of Omega. In Season 1, it was a new thing for them. Now the time has passed, we are seeing how they've settled into the roles as a bunch of dads. At least we know that the supervising director thinks of them as the dad bash. Air writer Jennifer Corbett teased that there is more to learn about Omega's origins. She said, We definitely continue with the learning about Omega's background, and the reason why she was with Nala Say and Lama Su on Kamino. But the Bad Batch don't care what she is. All they know is that she is their sister, their squad member, and that's it for them. And me personally, I like that they called her sister or a squad member instead of, you know, something else or said of their daughter or something like that. During the final moments of season one, we saw Nala Say meet with an Imperial scientist wearing the same uniform as the Mandalorian's Dr. Pershing, which according to Rue was no coincidence. He said, that's not a coincidence, but I don't want to talk too much about what's going on there. We got to leave some things in the dark, but we do get in all that 100% which I am glad to hear. I think we were all wondering about that. Omega was confirmed in season one to be Boba Fett's sister, though Corbett did say that the new season will not be exploring that relationship and the viewers should not expect Boba Fett to make an appearance. She said where Boba Fett is at at this moment is very different path to Omega's. Well, I don't think Boba will look at it in the same way. You never hear him call any of the other clones his family, but the first two episodes will give us a sense of what to expect from season two. They will come out on Wednesday, so make sure you turn into Lightsaber Radio for the breakdown of them first two episodes. We will be live at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Okay, now let's get back to Brotherhood, because when we left off in Part 27, Anakin was about to steal a ship and go rescue Obi-Wan. So let's see what's happening now. 
Obi-Wan Kenobi. The day had not turned up any further leads, despite a full morning and afternoon on the surface. The local officials let him investigate alone, and Ventress was nowhere to be found. But even that unexpected freedom of movement failed to prove any more fruitful, producing only further gathering of scientific data that was ambiguous at best. Obi-Wan had returned to Zara, pressure accumulating from two ticking chronos. Rug's lead, whatever that was, and the potentially disastrous information sitting on the mystery datapad. He had only been gone from his room for ten, possibly fifteen minutes, a simple walk to clear his mind, the rhythm of movement enough to ground him while sharpening his mental acuity. Yet when he turned the corner of the hallway in the palatial government offices, a problem immediately jumped out. He walked at a normal pace, conscious of any possible surveillance as he returned to his quarters. But it became clear as he approached. The door was ajar. He stopped in front of it, examining everything from the sliding mechanism to the embedded electromechanical lock. When he pushed at the door itself, though, it barely moved, the usual motion sensors failing to trigger. The lock sat devoid of any status lights, as if something drained the power or cut it from the entire system. He pushed, his palms shoving hard to nudge the panel open enough to let him slide through, but once he got inside, he saw a bigger problem than a busted door. On the floor was Anakin's supposedly impenetrable case, separated from the scanner that acted as its cover story. Obi-Wan knelt down, remembering Anakin's claim that the alloy might even be tough enough to withstand a lightsaber. And here that hypothesis had been put to the test, because the case itself was punctured, a burn mark that Obi-Wan was quite familiar with strategically placed to be able to split the case in two without harming the contents, a precision that would require training in the Jedi arts. A Jedi-controlled panic, recognizing the onset of such an urge and then tempting it with both physical and emotional control. But considering the contents of the case... A single comm link and a small data pad that might change the fate of the galaxy brought Obi-Wan the closest to panic he probably would ever get. He scanned the room, a desperate search for both devices, but with the simplicity of the space, it was clear that both had been taken. He picked up the pieces of the case, taking a closer look to confirm his suspicion about the lightsaber burns. The rest of his things lay right where he'd left them, from his other equipment to his storage crate. Only this with the evidence in plain sight. Obi-Wan stood in the middle of the room, his mind plotting out the different steps forward. So many variables came into play. Who stole the equipment? Who had they shown it to? Was it contained to Cato or had it gotten bigger, dragging both the CIS and Republic into this? Who would have access to and training in lightsabers? Footsteps came from down the hall. 
gradually approaching until they stopped outside his door with a firm step. Master Kenobi, a guard said, your presence is requested. Had the culprit resorted to stealth, the comm link and the data pad would have been recovered without giving away what was afoot. And yet here, everything was placed with as much precision as the lightsaber cut itself. All of it came with clear intention. From the way the case opened to the fact that it sat in plain sight. This wasn't about evidence. This was a message. Master Kenobi, the guard repeated. He turned around, only to find that two other guards accompanied the speaker, all with weapons drawn. We will need your weapon as well. Minister Alu Vayam looked at the gathering. A small group to fit in an office about half the size of Palpatine's, but with more ornate decor. The wall of shiny and glowing sculptures standing on the polished stone floor, a far cry from the muted tones and occasional artwork of the Chancellor's office. Obi-Wan walked in, escorted and with his lightsaber now in the possession of one of the guards. Across the way, further officials sat, an elevated podium that established hierarchy, despite the fact that this wasn't a trial. No obvious recording devices stood in place, though those types of things could be hidden easily within walls or statues. Assuming never proved to be a good strategy, so Obi-Wan instead merely wondered if Senator Dodd and the rest of the proper Trade Federation leadership listened. Or possibly... Count Dooku. Around the room stood another set of guards, and behind Obi-Wan sat several officials that he hadn't met before. Rug was nowhere to be found. And perhaps more important, neither was Ventress. Master Kenobi, thank you for coming on such short notice. Iam's tone remained cordial, and Obi-Wan weighed the different ways to respond. Whether the officials had seen the incriminating evidence was unclear. At the same time, feigning ignorance might appear at best patronizing. At worst, deceptive. And despite some of the twists and turns caused by Anakin's communicator and the mystery data pad, all of Obi-Wan's decisions sparked from a purity of design. A commitment to finding a way to de-escalate the war, to save lives, to abide by the Jedi creed of peace and justice. Yet despite his best intentions, he may have accelerated the greatest crisis the Republic had ever seen. Obi-Wan elected to go with a straightforward response. Thank you, Minister Ayan. When I arrived on Ketone Mordia, I promised that I would do everything in my power to identify the perpetrator of the crime. I do have several leads at the moment, along with a wealth of forensic data. I hope to have findings for you sooner rather than later. Voices murmured around the room and Obi-Wan waited for them to settle down. We appreciate all of the efforts you have made, Master Kenobi. I am nodded. And though the guards still stood at attention, no air of aggressiveness came from them. 
Obi-Wan wondered if perhaps the motivation for this gathering stemmed from the administration performing a simple status check, rather than any disturbing findings. I promise you a thorough and detailed report in the coming days, free from any political filter or other undue influence. More whispers floated through the room, gathering momentum until the collective voices reached a crescendo that caused Ayam to call for order. Through it all, Obi-Wan maintained a straight, stoic posture, though he called out to the Force, gauging the emotions swirling throughout the space. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. We understand that you are still gathering data, I am said. However, further evidence has recently come to our attention. Suddenly the mood in the room shifted, a palpable change that led Obi-Wan to accept that the worst may have indeed happened, and he would have to react accordingly to preserve any chance of peace. He simply nodded at the minister's statement his eyes scanning the room, when several clicks echoed through the space. The door behind the podiums slid open, revealing two figures, Kitar and Ventress, but not Rug. Because this evidence, Kitar said, a ferocity to his words, clearly shows that the Jedi Emissary has not been completely honest with us. He walked in, a small folded cloth in his hands. Everyone in the room turned, angling this way or that to get a look at the cloth. But Obi-Wan already knew. He knew from the unblinking glare on Kitar's face, from the smug derision on Ventress's lips. He knew because the message had stared right at him from the floor of his quarters. A message in the form of broken pieces, only possible via precise cuts from a lightsaber. Whose lightsaber, he still didn't know. But as Obi-Wan met Ventress's look under her hood, his suspicion grew. While this Jedi Knight, Ketar started, a derisive mockery in the word, was among us? I knew something was not correct. After all, doesn't the Republic have a long history of treating Namordians as second-class citizens, as walking transactions and nothing else? So why would this be any different? He unfolded the cloth in his palm, plucking out the missing comlink resting on top of the data pad Obi-Wan had recovered on the surface. Kitar held them up high, one device in each hand. Deception is the way of the Republic, he said, his voice so piercing it sparked an uproar. I am stood, arms waving to calm the commotion that had overtaken the space. But just as the noise began to settle, Ventress spoke up. We've found the Jedi's secret bunker on the surface, 
she said, activating a hollow projection of the structure he'd visited. Images cycled through until it stopped on a close-up of the door. Specifically, the lightsaber burns on the hinges. In my time working with Count Dooku, I have come to recognize the mark of a Jedi's weapon. He did, after all, leave the Order because of concerns of corruption. And this, she gestured at the image, is clear evidence of Obi-Wan Kenobi trying to seal off the bunker. Which, of course, wasn't the purpose of the burn, but Obi-Wan knew such a clarification meant little right now. The visual was enough to identify his presence, regardless of truth. And why would he hide such things? Why would he... The image switched and showed the bunker as a burnt-out ashen shell. Burn such a structure. Clearly, to destroy the evidence. With that, Keita held up the data pad and comm link again. Except this time, each activated. First, the data pad projected a hologram of information, side-by-side -side comparisons between bomb details forensically pieced together and schematics of Republic bombs used by the clones. Then the comm link played audio for everyone to hear. Obi-Wan, where are you? Anakin's voice came out. I've just sent you the findings. It looks bad for the Republic. The information on the data pad is authentic. It's real. I can't explain, Obi-Wan said. I understand what this looks like, but you must listen to me. I want the same thing you do. I want peace and I want truth. Please give me more time. But his words had no effect on the audience. The technicalities that the bunker already existed, that the data pad was already there, that communications went to Anakin on Langston and not the Jedi Council on Coruscant, none of that mattered. The optics were well against him. Kitar and Ventress simply needed an opening. So this Jedi, Ventress said, comes to your world. Violates your rules, hides the evidence you so desperately seek, and then transmits it to the Republic. He has not just broken trust, he has smashed it to pieces, then swept it away. Keter walked in front of the officials, still holding up the two devices. We're fortunate that the Confederacy sent Asajj Ventress to oversee the Jedi Emissary. Without her, who knows what he might have gotten away with. The room gave way to shouting words and fingers pointed at Obi-Wan with a distinct fury where anything presented by Kitar and Ventress amplified the raw pain of Katasura. I am shouted everyone down, then stood up. The Emissary of the Republic has been charged with hiding evidence and violating the conditions of his stay during a catastrophic time. As such, the minister said, he will be tried for his crimes in the great theater of judgment, open to the air and mist for all of Ketone Moedia, for all of the galaxy to see. 
guards. Six guards marched in from the back entrance, Rogue among them. Obi-Wan looked at her, and while most of the guards wore stoic determination, Rogue's mouth and eyes showed creases of concern. Should he be found guilty, the emissary's punishment will be swift. Until that time, he will be detained. I am taking a breath and gauge the room. Keita continued to glower, a spark ready to ignite at a moment's notice. Ventress watched with cool detachment, arms crossed in a frozen pose. As for Rug, the worry on her face grew with each passing second. Was it for Obi-Wan? Was it for her people? Was it for the galaxy? whose gears were about to turn yet again. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jedi Knight, Emissary of the Republic, let it be declared here, you are an enemy of the state. I am stood and flicked his wrist forward. Guards, take him away. Obi-Wan is under arrest for hiding evidence that he found and communicating with someone off-world. This is not looking good for the Jedi Master. And I want to give Ventress a big kiss. She played this to a T. This is how the Sith take over the galaxy, with deceptions and trickery, not by might. At least this was Darth Bane's plan, and it seems to be working. But Obi-Wan should have known better to put himself into a situation that there's no way out of. But we will have to see what more happens next week. Now we got to get to the quote for this week, and it comes to us from Albert Einstein. He said, if you want to live a happier life, tie your life to your goals, not to people or things. One thing that I have learned in my life, most of the time people come and go. You only meet a few people that will truly ride for you, that will have your back through thick and thin. But even they have the potential to leave at any time, and possessions are truly meaningless. For instance, you buy a new car or a house. The first little two-bedroom house works great. Then as you and maybe a family grows, you end up selling it to buy something bigger. And when you get older, you sell it for something smaller. Upkeep is just too much for you. When you buy a car, the same thing happens. That first car is great until you start having issues. Then you trade it in for something else. So people and possessions are not consistent. The message of this quote is about living a good life. You do this by focusing on the things that matter the most. If you want to live a happier life, tie it to your goals. It literally means if you really want to live a happy and fulfilling life, then tie yourself to your goals and dreams. In other words, tie it with things that are consistent or which you can fully control. The key is to tie your happiness to a goal, not to people or things. If you tie your happiness to people, you may end up being disappointed at the end. People change. Things change. Change is the way of the world. Don't let people or things be your source of happiness. If you want to be happy, don't let anyone or any object be the primary factor in your happiness. So when someone leaves you or you lose something, you don't get devastated by it. And you have to find the courage to keep on moving forward in your life. Nothing in life is permanent. Nothing is going to stay in your life forever, whether it is people or things. And that's a fact. Learn to embrace this fact because when you don't have any other option, it is the goal that gives your life true meaning. It serves as a fuel that propels you forward towards a more fulfilling life. It is the constant that will bring you true happiness. Okay, that's all I have for today. Join us next week for part 29 of Star Wars Brotherhood. We hope to see you there. 
Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media and was distributed by Sway Cast Networks. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel. Star Wars Brotherhood was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>